We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Road Wire College Football Podcast. The Kenneth Darby of College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen joined as I am every week with Rotowire's Leeds College Football Editor, John McKechnie. Jonathan, uh, we have a bit of an underwhelming week ahead of us in college football. A lot of teams on by, not a lot of ranked on ranked matchups, but man, we have a monster week six to discuss that featured uh, two of the best games, that were really three of the best games that we're probably going to see this entire season. Uh, two of those being high scoring contests between Oklahoma and Texas, Ole Miss and Arkansas. We saw Bama go down. Uh, we saw Iowa come back from being down 17-3 to at home against Penn State. Um, your dogs win in, in dramatic fashion, or in I shouldn't say dramatic fashion, in dominant fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers are back on track. Everything is good in the college football land. Yeah, it's feeling good, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought last Saturday, and it was by virtue of me, or a little bit, just being able to to watch all of it because I worked in the morning up through like that first round of kickoffs. And then I, I worked um, from like six o'clock Eastern until the, the end of of all the college football action. So I had a very long day, but one where I could just kind of like sit back and, and just kind of take it all in at the mm-hmm. same time and, and enjoy like the afternoon without working necessarily, but, you know, keeping an eye on everything. So uh, especially being able to kick things off with, with the Red River shootout, uh, being as advertised, really being being something where we were questioning how there was a total in Vegas under 70 in that one, and then just seeing where that one's going to get completely blown out of the water very quickly. That was fun to see and everything that, that happened in that game. And then, of course, Arkansas Ole Miss totally lived up to the hype. Um, that was That was an absolute blast. That was like a fever dream type of game so that was cool seeing Bama lose at the at the end of Saturday night was shocking I I think if we if we talked this Bama season out back in August 
would we have been completely shocked that they lost to A&M at Kyle Field on a Saturday night? No. But if we had been talking a week ago, which we were, then absolutely we would have been shocked that Bama was going to lose that game. Like, it, you know, that it's not Haynes King back there. It's Zach Calzada. And then it, at that, it banged up Zach Calzada at the end of that game. So that was just bonkers. It was really just one of the most eventful, fun college football Saturdays. And, and you know, again, I like didn't even touch on a top five matchup that ended up being a very good game until just now. So it took me that long to get there. It was an awesome, awesome week. And, and yeah, we, we do kind of I, I hate when we have down weeks in college football. But at the same time, it's nice to get like a little bit of rest and reprieve this week w- without uh, too many marquee mac- matchups. I will be at the one that, that is happening, though. So I am looking forward to that. Really? So you will be, I assume, at the Georgia game? The tickets have been acquired, my friend. Uh, Let's do so it. My, All right. My, my buddy lives in Athens. Uh, and uh, yeah, I will be be grinding away. It, you know, have no fear, uh, dear listener. Our, our our coverage will be as good as ever, but we have the manpower uh, that that will um, provide for for me to uh, split after the after the opening kickoffs and uh, take in the, the Georgia Kentucky three thirty matchup uh, from beautiful Athens, Georgia. Man, that is going to be blissful. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma, Texas, uh, along with those other big games. Let's start there. This was probably the best game, the most entertaining game. Um, and I think it's going to carry some storylines that are going to follow, especially this Oklahoma team through the rest of the season. This, is, this was 28-7 in favor of Texas at the end of the first quarter. And, and Texas had just completely blitzed Oklahoma. Like the, the Oklahoma defense of old was back. You know, they're, they're running all over them. They're throwing all over them. This game looked over uh, through one quarter. And all of a sudden, in steps Caleb Williams. This has kind of been bubbling below the surface, especially as Oklahoma just continued to escape by the skin of its teeth in all these previous wins. Um, finally, you know they, they 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 were left with no choice essentially. Spencer Rattler threw a pick. You're you're looking for any kind of spark in what's probably the most important game of the year on a massive stage, and in comes Caleb Williams. And and you know I, I wouldn't say it was 100% Caleb Williams. You know, like willing this team back into the game and ultimately winning it. 55-48 because Kennedy Brooks had a huge game. Um, you know, Oklahoma rushed for almost 350 yards as a team in this game, had some huge running plays at the end, including the game winner, um, you know, late in the fourth quarter. But Caleb Williams provided the spark that that Spencer Rattler simply just had not through that first quarter and a half. And and, and Williams finishes 16 to 25, 212 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, one of those touchdowns, like and some of the long throws that he was completing were, I, I wouldn't say they were like smart smart throws by any means they were uh borderline extremely reckless but he trusted uh marvin mims who came down with some huge catches in this game he went five for 136 had that 52 yarder uh that i'm referencing where where williams i, I think just like closed his eyes looked the other way and like hucked the ball as, as far as he could uh but it turned out all right and there there is something about caleb williams i, I don't know if, it, if it's just like he, he has like that kind of kyler murray escapism to him or it like you know, him and Spencer Rattler were, were very comparable as far as recruits, but it was clear even last year that, that Spencer Rattler didn't really have, you know, that, that kind of next level excitement factor that seems to just come by default with a lot of the recent Oklahoma quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And Caleb Williams, I mean, from snap number one, it was extremely clear that he has that. Yeah, I mean, that they needed it. They brought him in on that fourth down call. That was such like a pivotal part um, of the game. They, they roll him in. I don't know what Texas thought was about to happen, but you know, all the all of a sudden they, they bring everybody up to the line 
uh, and they let well Williams through. And then like, lo and behold, like 60 yards later, he, he's in the end zone and, and like the momentum has, has shifted back and, you know, everything that Texas had sort of built to that point, uh, it, it hadn't gone completely the other direction, but Oklahoma suddenly was off the mat, uh, you know, to, to borrow, uh, you know, boxing term, because we also had a Tyson, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, uh, title fight on Saturday, great sports day, awesome sports day. Um, but yeah, I mean, Williams just kind of kept it rolling from, from there. I know, I know they, they went back to Rattler for a little bit, but then it, it just became clear that they needed to go Williams the rest of the way. And, and uh, you know, rightfully so that, that Williams throw to, to Mims. Uh, yeah. W- Mims did a lot of the legwork there uh, at the very end, getting his foot in while like sprinting at the sideline was, was super impressive, but it was still a dime from Williams. And yeah, I mean, if you're Texas, that's so gutting that that they had that you had this happen to you. And and again, I feel like when Texas loses, uh, that they, they get main charactered on Twitter about as hard as anybody. Um, with, with especially when they when they blow it, because when anytime they get a lead, it's a meme. Uh, is Texas back? And then of course, then the the Texas back meter uh, decidedly in the red, uh, pointing to the left. So. Crazy, crazy game. Um, Texas obviously has its flaws still that that Sark will need to to weed out o- over time. But if you're Oklahoma, you've survived the midpoint of the season and you've gotten past what what will likely be your toughest conference game, and you've made it unscathed. It hasn't been pretty to this point, but you've made it unscathed. So uh, you look from here, and if Williams is the guy, which unofficial student reports with binoculars at the library might suggest that, that it is Williams time officially at Oklahoma that kind of breathes new life because it felt like, you know, what we were talking about a week ago, this could be an Oklahoma team very, very similar to that 2014 Florida state team where they win, but it's not pretty. And you know, they're going to get exposed by a good team in the playoff. It just, it, 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 that game doesn't exist on their schedule um, now you can feel like this is an Oklahoma team with a, with a little bit more juice if, if it is Williams going forward. You know, I think what's extra devastating if you're Texas is it's not like Caleb Williams came in and, you know, the defense is like, oh, we didn't game plan for this guy. You know, like, and, and all of a sudden it was just Oklahoma from there on out. Like Caleb Williams, you know, immediately has that long touchdown run, kind of a confusing play where he essentially like gets lost in the shuffle and just pops out and all of a sudden he's in the end zone it's not like it was just OU the rest of the way. All of a sudden, a, a switch flipped. Like, Texas led this game by three scores with a minute left in the third quarter. Like, there were two separate collapses. Like, they, you know, they collapsed in the first half when Williams comes in. Then they bounce back. You know, then it looks like Texas is back in control. You know, they're up 38 to 20 uh, going into half. And, I mean, this was still an 18-point game, like I said, you know, with like a minute eight left in the third quarter. And then Oklahoma tacked on another touchdown, and, and it was kind of on from there. But, Texas seemed like it had regrouped and, you know, gained back control of the game and then just completely fell apart again in the fourth quarter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the marking it the way that, that you did there is perfect. It, it was those two separate collapses. It's not like that, that, that initial Williams run was the thing that changed everything. You know, Oklahoma really, really just got itself into gear um, in that fourth quarter. So, so yeah, I mean, tough, for Texas, that's obviously their, their second loss of the season. So, um, you know, they, they could still theoretically may, find their way in the, in the Big Ten cha- or Big 12 championship. But obviously having that loss to Oklahoma, uh, that, that really stings against your rival to, to have them do what, what they did and, and to have them dead to rights at two different spots and right. to let them off the hook. Um, 
very, very uh, difficult uh, development for, for UT. So we'll, we'll see what they're able to do this week to, to bounce back, and we'll, we'll see what, what OU is capable of and, and what, what decision they end up making uh, personnel-wise at quarterback. What did you make of that final Kennedy Brooks run? I think it was like 30, 35 yards, something like that, to to essentially win the game. I think there was one or two seconds left as he as he ran in. Like, do you think Texas was just expecting him to go down, and you know you're you're just trying to position yourself for a field goal? Like, it, everybody just looked confused. Like, even Kennedy Brooks himself, I think, was questioning. Like, wait, should should I even run this in? Like, do we want to give them time? Like, I don't think I don't think Oklahoma ran that play thinking we're going to end up in the end zone here. Yeah. So my 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 situational grasp on that one is a little bit shakier than I would like it to be because Georgia was getting ready to kick off against Auburn. Uh, and I, I was uh, with, with, a, with a couple buddies uh, getting ready to watch kickoff there. So we had just flipped over. Um, so like, I, I know the run that you're talking about and I, I've like seen it visually, but, but I think like context wise, I, I don't have like the full um, like 360 view the way that you just laid out there of, of like what, what the significance of him uh, being able to punch it in was. Well, it was, it was a strange play. I mean, like I said, watching on TV, you know, nobody expected that play to end up in a touchdown. You're thinking, okay, five-yard gain, get down, call timeout, and let's finish this thing, you know, via field goal. But um, at the same time, it's college football, and it's not like that's a guarantee like it normally would be in the NFL, I guess, with the exception of this past week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's, uh, that was, by the way, sidebar, I, I, I was out of town on Sunday, got back for the late games, thankfully, but I was driving during that Green Bay game and like you think it was confusing to watch that game. Imagine listening to that on the radio. That was just for, for like two hours straight. Like my my girlfriend Molly and I were just like, "What is what is happening right now?" And <laughs> to make matters worse, I I have quote unquote unlimited data from from my provider, Cellcom in in Green Bay. Ran out of data on my unlimited plan because I streamed the Brewers game for like three hours in the car on Friday. <laughs> so like it wasn't even an option to pull it up. I couldn't even pull up highlights. You know, I'm kind of driving through like rural Wisconsin at this point. Um, so all I'm relying on is like the Packers radio feed. And it just sounded like a, uh, to, you know, to use a term that I don't prefer to use, but, uh, we can't say the other one complete crap show. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. I can't. Yeah. That whole thing was so disorienting. And then, and then, yeah, having, having that extra layer of not being able to stream it, be, becoming, uh, the like enemy number one of, of your cell provider, uh, power move just in the name of, of streaming sports at, at, at events where, where maybe you should or shouldn't be watching sports That's powerful stuff. And I, I love to hear that. And yeah, I mean, for, for me, uh, taking in that, that witching hour on Sunday, I took a little cat nap and then I, I woke up with about, you know, like 30 minutes left of, of the proverbial witching hour. And it really, I was like Mr. Krabs in, the, in that one uh, meme where he's just looking around all confused and everything is just kind of spinning all around him. It just I'm just seeing doinks, seeing yeah. missed field goals left and right. I'm seeing the Vikings win a game in a clutch situation. Like I, I, up was down, down was up, left was right, and so on and so yeah. forth. It was, uh, that was one of the crazier witching hours. So, so tagging that on to how crazy Saturday's college football was, my God, I, I can't believe we're still standing. Right. And and as I laid out last week, I was at a wedding um, on Saturday. So luckily, most of the action was during the day. Like, I, I really didn't miss too much. I think the end of um, uh, the end of some of the, like, the, the late afternoon games kind of ran into this wedding. They were taunting us at this thing. There were multiple TVs. Like, the website did not relay this information. There was a, like, le probably a legitimate, like, 70-inch TV in the lobby area. Not turned on. No, no reason. No explanation. There were multiple TVs kind of mounted around the place, you know, like a like a venue, like you'd expect. Not a single one even turned on. Uh, didn't even know if they were plugged in. 
So, I mean, there were multiple people there. This was during a Brewers playoff game. You know, it was happening. Yeah, this was in Milwaukee. Everybody there, every at least most males at this wedding wanted these TVs on. Nobody would budge. That's t- yeah, that is taunting at the, at that point. Yeah. And uh, I thought we were cracking down on that. See, exactly, exactly. You, you stole it right from right under me. That was nice. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't believe that that they would just uh, they would do that to you. It's it's unfortunate, but um, sounds like you did find a way to soldier through regardless. So. I did. I did. I, I mean, like I said, I had some data issues on the phone, but I was able to, uh, you know, make some maneuvers as I always do. Uh, let's go to AM Bama. Uh, if this is the first time you're hearing about this, uh, Alabama did lose on Saturday to Texas A&M. I think you set it up well at the top. In context, you know, pretty surprising loss. I, I forget what the what the line closed at. I, I want to say it was like 14 or 17. I think it, it, cl- it climbed like eight, maybe 18 and a half, really? I want to well, say. And this was at A&M. Um, yes. You know, so so again, so for context, it was a surprising loss. It's a, it's surprising anytime Alabama loses. But like you said, you know, where did AM begin the season? Like where, where were they sixth, seventh in the poll? Um, yep, you know, not, not inconceivable. And in terms of teams that can maybe not match Alabama in terms of talent, but are at least in the same ballpark, AM is absolutely in that category. So would you expect them to beat an Alabama team at full strength with a backup quarterback in, in Zach Calzada? No, especially the way Calzada had played these last couple of weeks filling in for Haynes King, but man, I, 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 I hate to, I feel like gutsy is becoming like a cliche term to, especially to describe quarterbacks, but there's no better way to put it. Like that was a downright gutsy performance. Some of the hits that he took Calzada late in that game to hang in. Um, I mean, it threw like the floater of all floaters that somehow just ended up perfectly landing in the arms of a receiver, but man, whatever it takes to beat Bama, this was a, this was a, an impressive uh, takedown of the number one team in the country. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll lead it off with, with the gutsiness of, of Calzada. Yeah, just pure onions, uh, especially given how A&M had kind of fallen into the same pattern that we see a lot of teams that, that might have a hot start against Bama. And then in the second half, they just pray for the clock to run out. And, and, uh, and you know, that was reflected in the box score. Third quarter, they had like 15 total yards or something of offense. I mean, it was it was really, really bad for for AM for a while there. And then Bama, you know, it starts to to truly mount its comeback. And, and you know, we're, we're not starting to see AM answer the scores the way that we did uh, previously. So it's like, OK, here we go again. Is AM going to have what it takes here to 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 get this done, to actually score with its offense and not need it? You know, not not to say that the kick return is fluky, but you know, something that you can't bank on reliably. You need to actually have your offense move the ball. And they did it. And and for for Calzada specifically, with, with the way that the Bama defender like fell on, on his knee, that looked that looked like it could have not only ended his night, but maybe even his season. And then he goes into the medical tent and then he's back out there. And it and you're just like, holy hell. And then, you know, everything else transpires that they, they get the drive set up. They throw, they throw the uh, floater to Weidermeyer that, that, that creates the uh, defensive pass interference. And then we get to the kick and the guy, my God, he tried to miss it as about, about as bad sure as he did. could, but, uh, but uh, God was not having it that night or the 12th man or whoever it was, uh, was not having it. And, and that ball sailed back to the right and through the uprights. And there we have it. We had an absolutely um, crazy, crazy upset. And, and, you know, we, we've seen all the, all the rushing the field videos throughout the week. It's been 
nuts. And then just one other like general comment. I, I kind of alluded to it um, just in terms of Bama starting its its comeback and teams folding. Uh, usually the impetus of that is when Bama does something with its special teams. I feel like, you know, like that we've seen them block kicks, block punts or, or run a kickback, run a punt back. And like all of a sudden uh, everything is, is tilted in Bama's favor. And it really felt that way when Bama uh, blocked the punt and then the guy recovers it in the back of the end zone. There's like the brief review as to whether he had uh, his whole body in, in bounds for that. But yes, he did. And then AM to punch right back with the kick return for a touchdown from Devin A. Chain. That that sort of signaled to me that this wasn't fake because a lot of yeah. other times, if the if in those rare and few 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 and far between occurrences, we we don't see them as much anymore. But when Bama used to play teams a little bit closer on the scoreboard, this would this would be the type of thing that would start uh the the unra- unraveling for the challenger. And and right. instead they bowed up and and they uh, they answered right back and I, I thought that 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 was the sign that this wasn't like a, a fake, um, you know, ch- challenge of of Alabama that this one was actually going to go all four quarters. Right, and and even after the H chain kick return, Alabama marches right down. You get a thirty yard touchdown pass to Jamison Williams, and it's back to a one score game. I, I thought it was the A and M defense that that really bailed them out because the next three drives for A and M were three punts for a total of 10 plays. I mean, you're not, you're not moving the ball at all. You get one first down in one of those drives. And what does Bama do on its two drives between those? You, you hold them to a field goal on both of them, you know, and, and you're, you know, one of them, they're, they're inside the Texas A&M five yard line uh, and you end up settling for a field goal. And, and that ended up being the difference. I mean, at, at that point, it looked like Alabama was going to start rolling and it was going to be mm-hmm. like, you're, you know, we're going to score a touchdown on every drive. You're going to have to do the same thing or we're winning this game. Like you do not see Alabama held to, to kind of tail between your legs field goals on back-to-back drives like that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Bama, they got cute with some of their play calling there, they're in close. Um, and, and that was surprising to see, but yeah, you usually don't see them have to take more than one to two plays to punch it in once, once they get uh, to right. goal, to, goal to go situation. So yeah, I think that that's a really good call regarding that defense. And I mean, in the first half, um, when a and was more just kind of in control of the game, it was impressive. You don't see Bama's offensive line get dominated the, the way that it did. I mean, Bryce Young was getting hit. He was getting hurried. They were getting sacks. They were getting knockdowns. It was really, really impressive. And it was, it was a bit of, you know, something that, that could be a bit of a red flag for, for Alabama moving forward. I, I, again, I don't want to like turn this into everything being Georgia centric, but if you look at, what the national title picture looks like and, and who else is in there. Georgia's in there and, you know, they, they would be on that proverbial collision path uh, in Atlanta for the SEC championship. I, I still think that, that that's very much on the table. And the way that A&M had success against Alabama, I think that Georgia could have very similar success as far as generating pressure with, with its um, with its front seven. I think that that, that is something that, that Bama uh, needs to fix it. You know, I, I don't know if it's in a hurry necessarily. I don't know if they see another defense quite like AM's until they get to Atlanta, but um, it's something that, that needs to be fixed regardless because it, that was something that was uh, very jarring to see, something you don't really see too often uh, with these uh, Nick Saban Alabama teams. All right, let's go to Arkansas Ole Miss. It says a lot when this was like the third or, or fourth most fun game of the day, and it was 52 51 in favor of Ole Miss. 
and, and Arkansas, you know, I, I, I don't blame the team, you know, going for two on the road. Um, you know, they score a last second touchdown, have a chance to win it. Uh, didn't love the call. I, that whole drive felt a little clunky. You know, ultimately they, they were able to punch it in for the touchdown, but it, like the way that drive transpired, I just like, didn't, I didn't have a lot of uh, optimism that they were going to co- uh, convert the two point and, you know, kind of turn into a broken play. And, you know, the quarterback is like fading to the sideline, like never, like basically the opposite of what you want to see in yeah. that situation. Um, but man, we got, we got almost 1300 yards of total offense in this game. Um, Arkansas almost got to 700 total yards on its own, both teams well over 600. Um, th- this was a, this was like a, a throwback big 12 game more than, more than an SEC game. Yeah, it, re- it really was. This was uh, two teams and, you know, the ironic part is, you know, defense really in this particular matchup, it derailed Ole Miss's offense a year ago. I, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but um, that was the game where Arkansas kind of deployed its new look defense um, that that basically was design, designed to like slow down the, the spread offenses. And it resulted in Matt Corral throwing six interceptions. Uh, we've seen in the weeks or in time since, and especially this season, where Arkansas is very gettable on the ground now as a result. So you see Matt Corral throw for less than than 300 yards in a game that, like you said, had almost 1,300 yards combined of offense. That just goes to show you like where where their um, priorities lied. We're not going to get beat through the air. If they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us on the ground, uh, that type of thing. But, yeah, it it was just a crazy game, just completely back and forth. Um, I think both of these teams should have their heads held high. I think both of them are, are still very quality squads that that have obviously Ole Miss having come out on top. They I think they have a pretty legitimate argument uh, for being the, the second best te- second best team in the West. Maybe that's a little bit more of a commentary on how the how the West is shaping up right now. But even still, both quality teams and I mean the the entertainment value on on that on that game was, whew, I loved it. Yeah, entertainment value-wise, um, you know, you're not going to get more bang for your buck than a 2021 Arkansas Ole Miss game. Uh, kind of opposite styles in Iowa City on Saturday. Um, Iowa goes down big early in this game. They're down 17 to three at home. Um, you know, one of the biggest games in recent history, easily uh, for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, but then Sean Clifford goes out and. I feel like it's being painted like Sean Clifford was just dominating this game. And then, you know, once, once he, once he went out, everything changed, everything certainly did change, but it, Sean Clifford threw two picks before leaving this game. Um, you know, he was, he was very much the, the typical Sean Clifford experience in this game. Um, the problem was you go down to uh, Taekwon Roberson and he just did not look ready to go at all. I, I didn't think, and, and I think Iowa knew it. And I, I think we started to see them play even more aggressively on the defensive end. And, you know, if, if this game is taking place uh, on the other side of the country in happy Valley, I think Penn state maybe is able to hold on, but man, this was, this was, this was even despite one of the teams losing its starting quarterback. Uh, I, I still feel like a game that lived up to the hype in a number of ways. Yeah. It, it delivered on, on the promise of, of it being a slobber knocker, right. You know, so like it was, that was a fun game. Uh, it, it is unfortunate, you know, whether or not, Penn State definitely wins with with Clifford. Uh, you know that we're we're not interested in that because it, you know Clifford got hurt. It's just a, a matter of Roberson comes in and the guy just like can't hit the broad side of the barn. I mean, I mean, seven of twenty one, 
that's for 33, 34 yards, I'm sorry, and two interceptions. I mean, that's just cataclysmic that was bad. Pl- play from from your backup quarterback. You gotta have something a little bit more game ready than that. And I know that Iowa is a is a tough place to play, and I know that Iowa itself presents its own unique set of challenges, but man, that was just that was brutal. And I, I think you can also point to the fact that uh, Penn State doesn't really have the run game that we're used to seeing it in recent years. I know Barkley kind of changed everything. Miles Sanders was really good. Um, Journey Brown obviously had to retire before before last season started. But, you know, the returns are getting from like your, your Noah Canes, your, your Kayvon Lees, Devin Fords of the world. His aren't quite really matching what the recruiting profiles uh, would suggest otherwise. So um, I still think that Penn State is a very, very good team. And I, I think that they could have. Uh, gone in and finished the job had Clifford been able to play all 60 minutes. But I, I don't think it's a certainty necessarily that, that they were going to. Um, but it definitely uh, hurt their cause having to having to drop down for, from Clifford uh, to Roberson uh, down the stretch there. And I, I don't want to like take too much away from Iowa. I still just think that Iowa, we, we laid it out a bit last week. I think you did a really good job of it. Um, just talking about how this was Iowa's Super Bowl in essence, and they don't really get opportunities for statement wins the rest of the way whereas Penn State theoretically does you know they, they're on a bye this week they still have the Ohio State game ahead of them they still have Michigan they still have Michigan State that's three top 10 teams uh, that they get to square up against uh, in one one way or the other so there, there's a lot left in front of them whereas Iowa they needed this one otherwise they could have boat raced everyone the rest of the way and no one would really respect them because Penn State would be the one uh, truly quality uh team that they had played to that point and they would be they'd be holding the L so they needed that win and they and they got it so they lived to fight another day and you know obviously they're in the driver's seat uh in the west now yeah things looking very good in Big Ten land I mean we were talking last week about the Big Ten having five of the top 11 teams in the country uh even after one of those teams lost you know in a Big Ten on Big Ten matchup you know now you have five of the top 10 teams in the country all in the Big Ten so I mean, this is as as strong, I think, as the conference has been uh, top to bottom, especially that East Division in a while. And this was without, you know, a traditional powerhouse like Wisconsin, um, you know, returning you know, the type of value that you would typically get out of that program. So Iowa the rest of the way, like you said, they're, they have Purdue this week. Um, then, then they're on by. Then it's at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, home for Minnesota, home for Illinois, at Nebraska. I, you know, based on how weird some of these lines have been with Wisconsin, um, you know, maybe that one you know ends up being a closer line than you think. But I mean, they're going to be pretty heavy favorites in, in all these going forward. They're they're already listed at eleven and a half uh, for that Purdue game on Saturday. Yeah, I I don't really see them slipping up between now and Indianapolis. Um, I I don't think that any of those teams that, that you mentioned there can beat them. Um, I think there can be some some oddly uncomfortable close games. The Wisconsin one, like you mentioned, sure. I think Nebraska seems to be good for making people uncomfortable, but then ultimately losing. So that will likely be the case again uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise, Iowa's path is clear. They know that they're going to need to take on and beat whoever comes out of the East uh, when that day comes in in Indy. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see who comes out of that, you know, pile up in the East because it is so strong and we haven't really had a thinning of the herd um, just yet as far as that goes. You know, we're, we're going to start to see it here pretty soon. I think in two weeks we get Michigan State, Michigan. That's going to start to open things up. 
Um, again, you know, we're, we're going to need Penn State and, and Michigan State to play at some point. And Ohio State, of course, draws all these teams as well. So, yeah, the, the like the late October through November in the Big Ten East is going to be it's going to be like Mad Max Fury. I mean, it's going to be so awesome. Like everyone's just going to be like blowing up each other's seasons. It's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. So, so we, we kind of did a full autopsy on, you know, the playoff projection last week and, and what it would take for, for a team like Cincinnati to, to hold its spot. It's currently at number three in the AP top 25 uh, right now. We, we certainly did not anticipate Alabama losing to Texas A&M. In fact, I, I remember talking in absolutes about Alabama, you know, facing off against Georgia as two undefeateds in the SEC title game. They won't be undefeated, but I, I still think that's going to happen. I think Alabama is going to bounce back and be just fine. Ultimately, Alabama losing to A&M, I don't know that that really matters for Cincinnati, right? Like if, if Alabama were to take another loss the rest of the way, you know, then then I think that's a big plus for Cincinnati. But, you know, if, if we're talking one loss Alabama versus undefeated Cincinnati, for you know the fourth spot in the playoff, I think we know where that's going. So, so to me, Alabama going down like that's a that's a short term victory for Cincinnati that boosts you you know one more spot up in the rankings. But I don't really know that it affects you know when you start to look ahead at, at the actual playoff projection. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we we know that there's there's no margin for error for Alabama now. Like that they can't be one loss non conference champion. So it, in a way, it almost puts. Georgia in that like you know circled group like if Georgia goes undefeated the rest of the way and then loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game then it gets then it gets tricky for Cincy um but uh if if Alabama were to lose in the SEC championship game presumably to Georgia uh then two loss Alabama like you're out you're not you're not getting in um that would be that that'd be the end of it um so yeah I I think as it stands just because of how crazy things have been at the top. And I still, I know we were gassing up Caleb Williams and, and, you know, maybe the, this, uh, the second act for the, for this Sooners team, I still don't believe in them long-term. I don't. So I, I basically, the way I see it right now is Georgia one, the winner of the big 10 two, who I, who I believe until, until proven otherwise, I'm just going to assume it's going to be Ohio State. I think Ohio State's in um, as the second. I think that you get Cincinnati um, as number three. And then four, four is, is really tough. Um, again, it theoretically could be Oklahoma. Um, but again, I'm just casting all the doubt on them. I don't know if it, maybe Iowa. It, it's crazy, man. Like it, the way that I just laid it out. I don't really know who that who that fourth team is because then then you get into does the committee have those same type of principles where they they put a team that didn't uh, make it to its own conference championship are, are they comfortable with putting them in the playoff I don't know or do they take a team like Iowa if they get exposed in the Big Ten championship would, would they still keep them in um, again if Georgia loses then you have the uh, then you probably see uh, two. Uh, SEC teams get get in, and and that would be that, and and then you'd get the Big Ten champ plus Cincinnati. I, I think is kind of how that would how that would line up. But yeah, that I think we we have a pretty wide open picture as far as uh, who that fourth team could be. It could be any number. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting thing you mentioned is does would the Big Ten get that SEC treatment? Where could Iowa run the table, lose in the Big Ten title game, and then still get in as a one loss? 
I would say probably not, right? I mean, I think at that point you would have one really good win over Penn State, and then you would have one really good loss over whichever team, whether it's Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State again, perhaps, in that Big Ten title game. I, I don't think the Big Ten, and specifically Iowa, just because of how down the rest of the West is, I don't think they would get that same treatment. I don't either. So it would basically have to be um, if one of uh, Michigan or Michigan State, just because Penn State already has a loss, if right. if either of those teams look really good and their only loss ends up being to the eventual conference champion, Ohio State, then I could see them potentially ha- having a case for, for being the, the number four team. But right. um, again, that, that's a lot of ifs. And, and, you know, all those teams have to uh, match up against each other. And you, you'd have to go, you know, two and one against th- that murderer's row. And it's really tough to pull off. So, what, what, you know, this is this is going to get pretty murky. I think it's going to get more murky before it gets more clear as, as it pertains to uh, who that top four is going to end up looking like. I think the other team you're still a little concerned about if you're Cincinnati is, is Oregon and, and, you know, maybe to a lesser degree, Oklahoma state still undefeated Uh, wake forest, by the way, still undefeated, you know, doesn't, doesn't undefeated wake forest. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to say probably not, but Oregon has the loss, obviously. Um, You know, they, they lose to Stanford a couple of weeks ago in overtime, but they've already banked that win over Ohio state. Um, You know, to me, one loss Oregon is, is kind of in that same conversation that we're having with these big 10 teams. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I, I think it's it's easy to bury Oregon in in this conversation just because they they've lost more most recently, um, and they lost they have you know the loss itself was pretty brutal, pretty inexcusable, um, with with them losing to Stanford the way that they did, and that was a stinky line that week. It was like, or how's Oregon only eight point favorites? And then it's like, oh well, that's how. Um, so. Yeah, no, Oregon, that is a good call. If, they, if they're the Pac-12 champs who also have that win over Ohio State uh, under their belt, that, that is something that, that could yeah. um, that could easily find it or, you know, it will have its pundits uh, and backers to, to put them in the playoff. Um, you know, I think the rest of the Pac-12 needs to wake up a little bit, but um, right. either way, either way that, yeah, you can't write out Oregon uh, just yet, especially given the, the amount of, of uh, ones you see in in the uh, win loss column uh, here or in the records uh, in the top ten alone right now. Right, and I, I think that would potentially you know let's say they run the table, win the Pac twelve, um, and then it's you know it's comparing Big Ten champion Ohio State, we'll say versus Pac twelve champion Oregon, both have one loss. Then it becomes the like Ohio State's resume in that scenario. Ohio State will have beaten you know potential top ten if if not for sure top twenty five teams in Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan, not to mention probably Iowa in the Big Ten title game. So, you know, yeah, you have the loss to Oregon, but you've racked up four or five at that point, like really high quality wins to potentially offset that. But then you're comparing head to head and it's like, yes, one team has played a harder schedule, has more impressive wins, but the other team beat that team head to head. And I I think for some people, you know, it it kind of just depends on, on how you view these things. If you're more big picture or if you're like, hey, these two teams, played each other straight up and this team won. How can you say that this team is better? Um, I, I think it could set up for a really interesting debate. Yeah. The, the cynic in me thinks that Ohio state wins out. If yep, it I comes so to the, uh, comes into that debate. And I mean, I think it, it, there's legitimate case in the sense that Ohio state would have the more impressive resume, but at the same time, how do you put them in if they have the same record and have the same achievement as far as winning their, their conference 
over the Oregon team that that went into Columbus and beat them straight up head up head to head. I think that that matters. I think it should matter. I don't know at the end of the day if if it would. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it does it does potentially set up for a, a very fascinating debate if if it really comes down to it between those two. Yeah, and I think the fact that that game took place in Columbus is is a huge huge point in favor of Oregon. Uh, let's look ahead to Week Seven. Uh, like we said at the top, you know, you, you have a couple ranked on ranked matchups. We do get Oklahoma State five and zero going up against Texas, looking to bounce back. Um, we have some good like traditional matchups this weekend. You know, Florida LSU. Uh, some of the luster has been worn off of that game. Uh, Auburn Arkansas, uh, even A and M in Missouri. You know, in years past has been a decent game. Not so much this year. Um, but Kentucky Georgia, like you said, you'll be at that one. Other than that, I mean, is there is there anything I'm missing? Is there some game that I'm you know completely overshadowing here? Um, I would say the only other one that really comes to mind would be Tennessee Ole Miss, just because it's Lane coming back to to Tennessee. I think that's kind of a fun little storyline. And Tennessee's actually been playing uh, extremely well of late. So we, we can maybe use this as a jumping off point uh, to talk about some of our bets for this week. Because, yeah, like otherwise, like the as far as big games to, to preview this week, I don't think that there's really much there. I mean, LSU really circling the drain, the Coach Oak um, time. I Really, to me, after last week, it's just a question of, like, do they fire him during the bye week or do they let him wear the Bama loss and then fire him and, and you know, kind of just ride it out through the rest of the season? They, they just – Stingley's probably not coming back. They just lost Boutte for the season. They lost Elias Ricks for the season. It's just, like, it's a total mess for LSU. Um, but again, going back to the betting stuff uh, for, for this week, I think the Tennessee home upset money line against Ole Miss, I see it happening, yeah. man. I think Tennessee has figured something out. They've got Hendon Hooker at, at quarterback, the, the transfer from Virginia Tech. They're hanging monster points on teams right now. And they, again, admittedly, they, they've done it against some bad teams of late. I mean, uh, you know, they, they beat up on Mizzou, they beat up on South Carolina, but they did what what good teams do to those teams, so that there's something to be said for that. And it'll be at home. It's gonna be loud. Uh, they're going up against an Ole Miss team that has played kind of a murderer's row the, the last couple of weeks, having gone against Bama, um, uh, yeah, Bama and uh, and Arkansas that these past two weeks. So I mean that that's a lot. Uh, Tennessee's had a much easier road to this point. So I think that Tennessee can pull the home upset this week and, and kind of start to maybe put themselves uh, back on the map a little bit. Um, I, I like Michigan State uh, to cover four and a half against Indiana. I think Indiana kind of stinks. Uh, they're kind of one of the one yep. of the under the radar disappointments uh, from from this year. I like Florida minus ten and a half against LSU. Again, just kind of alluding to it a minute ago. I think that LSU is in complete shambles. I think Florida. Florida's fine. Florida's like a, a legitimate top 15 team. Um, Florida is I going think... all orange on Saturday, by the way. So make sure you factor that Ooh. in. Ooh, uh, I don't like that look for them. I'm not Disagree. not big on that. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what's up there. Uh, and I like the over 44 and a half for, for the Georgia-Kentucky game. I think I'm going to get treated to some, to some points, at least enough points. 44 and a half is not a lot of points, but that's roughly where the, the Iowa – um Penn State line was a week yeah. ago so so it'll be something I, I think that you know over the course of 60 minutes in that one I, I think that we'll see uh that number uh hit one way or the other I I'm not convinced on how exactly it shapes up that's why I wouldn't bet Georgia anything over minus 19 but if it gets to 18 and a half then I'm a little bit more 
more likely or more inclined to to go with Georgia on the spread. But now, I, for now, I just like the total in that one. Do you think this plays out? I mean, it doesn't sound like you're quite as confident, but I mean, you look at Georgia's last two ranked games, the last two weeks, you know, they, they handle Auburn 34, 10 last week. And then, you know, a, a complete dismantling of an Arkansas team that, you know, was, was ranked in the top 10 at the time. I, I think there was, you know, may, maybe a little bit of juice behind that, that, that wasn't really all that realistic, but that was 37, nothing in favor of Georgia. Um, I mean, how, how nervous are you that that Kentucky could keep this a little bit closer than you'd like? I don't know if Kentucky has the dudes that, that, um, that, that Arkansas did on offense, like your Traylon Burks uh, right. type of guys. Um, I think that Georgia can stop the run against Kentucky so that that kind of negates the Chris Rodriguez factor. Um, so it comes down to like Will Levis, their quarterback, and he's got a lot of athleticism. He actually reminds me a lot of Bo Nix, and Bo Nix gave Georgia trouble last week. Auburn's receivers really let him down at several different points, but if Georgia can generate a pass rush but can't get to Levis, then I think we're going to see some frustrating or frustrating developments for, for the Georgia defense just a little bit there. So keep an eye for that. Um, but but Kentucky, they also have Wandale Robinson, the, the transfer from Nebraska. He's a lot of fun, uh, but he's kind of like the only thing that they have going. So if, if Georgia decides to kind of lock him down, I don't know if Kentucky has another guy that they can kind of answer with that, that could actually uh, make it sting for Georgia. So I just I just don't know if Kentucky would need um, a lot of th- a lot of bounces to go in their favor. I think in order to uh, to keep pace here, and I think that Georgia, uh, I think the offense is just too complete, even with Stetson Bennett back there. And I I'm assuming that Stetson Bennett's going to start again this week. Um, but you know, you got that stable of running backs. You, you've got receivers maybe getting healthy, or you know, if you just lean on your Brock Bowers or even Lad McConkey, like like he's coming on now, and he's not just like a meme that of just like a guy with a funny name. Like he's actually good. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy to watch. So yeah, I think Georgia. It, there's a reason why they're like three touchdown favorites against the number eleven team in the country. All right. Well, let's transition over to DFS. We, we've hit on a lot of these games, um, you know, in terms of how we feel against them or about them against the spread. But what games are you targeting for DFS purposes? Where are you looking at the quarterback position? Um, so, yeah, th- this is a, a fun slate. Um, we we're missing some of like the, the obvious star power that, that we get uh, most weeks. But, you know, there's a lot of buys and, and you know, you're, you're not getting uh, Bama on this one. So there's that element to it. But um, the teams with the highest implied totals as it stands, we got Cincy, Florida, UNC, A&M, and Georgia. Um, I think that we're going to see some pretty kind of spread out exposure as far as, as how people want to attack this slate. Um, I think Cincinnati pe- people will, I think you can go with uh, Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford combo. Um, it's hard to trust any one of these uh, Cincinnati receivers too, too much because a lot of them are very similar. Um, a lot of them kind of have a similar target share that they, they do spread the ball around enough to where like they don't have that one like alpha guy that's going to get funneled um, all of those targets. I mean, I like Alec Pierce at 6,800, but you know, there, there's just a threat that he doesn't get as involved as, as you would like, and you end up getting burned um, a little bit. So you, you know, by another um, Cincy receiver. So that's always in play, but as far as like other quarterbacks are concerned, um, I would consider Stetson Bennett as crazy as that sounds. It's at 7,000. Um, I like uh, 
Thorne actually a, a lot from Michigan State. Um, so he's at 7,300. I think that Michigan State is a little bit underpriced this week by, by Vegas. I think that they uh, have what it takes to kind of roll um, against Indiana. Um, I could also see Nebraska kind of taking taking it to uh, Minnesota. I know both those teams have implied totals under 28 points, but um, I think that both of them have really soft matchups against bad teams, even though they're they're on the road. I think they can have some success. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the, the Big Ten uh, flavor at, at quarterback in addition to um, to Desmond Ritter. And, and then just kind of like uh, general comment as far as game games to target. Uh, I think that that A&M Missouri game is, is one that I'm going to be uh, pretty heavily involved in. I think that Missouri's defense you know, you take out your, your Vanderbilts of the world and they might have the worst defense of anyone in the power five. It's unbelievably terrible. I mean, Tennessee did whatever it wanted to them a couple weeks ago. They, they got sort of a, a reprieve last week against North Texas. But, man, Mizzou is going to have a lot of trouble uh, slowing down A&M. So um, I could see some serious offensive fireworks there. And I could also see A&M's defense being, being in a little bit of a letdown. I think that's where the letdown wrinkle comes into play because Missouri's kind of exhausting to play against defensively because they run so many plays um, and they throw the ball a lot. They're, they're unlike a lot of other SEC teams in that sense. So um, I'm looking for, for that game to be the one that, that I like to load up on. All right. What about at the running back position? Um, you know, Bijan Robinson, I, I think lived up to the hype last week, certainly, you know, pulled his share in that game against Oklahoma. Uh, thought they got away from him a little bit more, uh, than ideal in the second half only ended up with 20 carries, which, you know, coming off a 35 carry game, um, maybe a little bit lower number than you would expect. But uh, he, he of course, sits at the top of the price list. Brees Hall has come back with a vengeance uh, after that tough start to the season, two straight games under 70 yards to begin the year. He got to hundred against UNLV. Uh, got to 190 against Baylor a couple weeks ago. And then uh, against Kansas, 123 yards, two touchdowns. He's been up over uh, 22 DraftKings points in each of the last three weeks. Yeah, no, yeah, Hall, Hall an interesting cat for for sure. And then, you know, Bijan, uh, you know, the, the guy who's kind of like the headliner of any slate that he's on. Um, Tyler Beatty, if you, I mean, if you look at it on just a raw fancy points per game, he's actually doing better than Bijan Robinson thus far. It, you know, best player that maybe no one's really heard of. Um, so he's doing really well. Um, so if you're counting on what I'm saying as far as A&M, uh, maybe taking a step back defensively this week, then then Beatty might be nice. And you figure the roster percentage is going to be low on on him, just the fact that they're underdogs and he he's the running back, um, that sort of thing. And, and the way that AM played defensively last week, but I, I keeping an eye on him uh, specifically in GPPs. Um, I think we're seeing Kenneth Walker um, get priced a little bit too far down. Again, this this again doves dovetails uh, with my thoughts on on Michigan state this week, going up against Indiana, I really think that they can roll in that one. Um, I love Jerome Ford, 7,200 of Cincinnati. I, I think that they're going to be able to run all over central Florida and Ford is a really talented guy, obviously a former Alabama transfer. He's got the goods. Um, I think that he's going to do really, really well on Saturday. And Jalen Warren is, is my last, uh, prime running or my last prime running back to, to look at. I'll get to one more guy here in a second, but Warren um, he's getting a ton of work every single week for Oklahoma state. And we just saw last week um, what Texas's run defense looks like. Uh, I know you mentioned how, or we, we were talking about how 
Caleb Williams is like the storyline, but but how did Oklahoma really cross the finish line as far as that comeback goes? It was on the ground. So um, the last three weeks, Jalen Warren's workloads have been 32 carries for 218 yards, 27 carries for 123, and 36 carries for 124. So that, that's bad efficiency against Baylor, but uh, I love seeing 36 carries, and I love the idea of 30 carries against Texas. I really do. Um, and then my last guy, a little bit further down, 5,100 um, for Devin A-Chain. I, I actually believe that A-Chain is a, is a better running back overall in, than uh, Isaiah Spiller. I think Spiller's a very, very good running back. But A-Chain going up against what, what again, in my opinion, is the worst Power 5 run defense, that's hard to stay away from at 5,100. All right, what do you got at receiver? Uh, receiver is a bit of a, an interesting scene this week. Um, I think that you you stay in the A&M offense, um, and I think you find uh, Aeneas Smith at, at 4,400. Um, he obviously caught the touchdown a week ago. Impressive guy, kind of a versatile uh, half running back, half receiver uh, type of guy. If Spiller's limited at all, he, he did bruise his tailbone during that game against Alabama, then maybe he gets a little bit of rushing work on top of it. And I just think 4,400, even if he's only playing receiver, um, is is – a little bit too cheap. Um, I think if you build out a lineup that that has um, Jaden Reed and Jalen and Jalen Naylor, uh, both from Michigan State, um, I think you're going to put yourself in a pretty good spot there. They're, they're 6,200 and 6,300 respectively. Obviously, Naylor was the one to target a week ago. Reed coming off of a bit of a down week, especially given how Michigan State put points up last week. But um, I wouldn't rule out using both of them, especially if, if you're interested in going with Thorne um, at your quarterback spot. I, I wouldn't put Kenneth Walker in that one. I think that you would put Walker in a separate lineup that isn't quite as invested in Michigan State's passing game, but but you know, just putting that all um, out there. Um, looking elsewhere, I mean, Xavier Worthy had the big game last week. Um, I'm not quite chasing it um, for Texas uh, 7,400. Uh, David Bell, we're seeing him about as low as you're going to see him. Um, he's 7,000 against Iowa, but He's going against Iowa. That's just like really hard to to feel particularly good about uh, a receiver with kind of shaky quarterback help uh, getting it done um, against him. Uh, Jack Beck of of LSU. I, I'm not totally sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but um, 5,500 in light of Keishon Butte being out, um, I think that he might move into that de facto number one spot um, for for the Tigers as far as their their pass catchers are concerned. Um, so I think they're still going to be throwing it a lot. I think that Florida is going to make them throw it a lot because LSU basically just can't run the ball. It doesn't seem like, so, uh, he's someone that I'm definitely, um, considering as well at, at 5,500. All right, man. Excellent walkthrough as always of the DFS slate. Uh, what other content you guys have coming this week? Uh, so we, we just, uh, posted the college capper that, that runs on Thursday, start sit for your season long, uh, that comes up on Wednesday. So those are up on the site. Uh, my DFS, uh, breakdown for the Thursday night one. So that probably won't have too much bearing on your evening when, when you're listening to this, um, that's up. Then we will have the Friday slate. We will have, um, DraftKings and FanDuel main slate breakdowns from myself and Chris Benzine. Those run on Friday. We will also have the night slate from Jeff Edgerton uh, running on Saturday as well. And then when, when you uh, wake up on, on, on Sunday, um, we will have the waiver wire pickup um, article from Nick Grays. He does a killer job with that every single week. So 
Um, we got a, a full loaded schedule here uh, to get you through your college football week. We, we got to have benzene on one of these weeks for just a five minute Wisconsin check-in. We really do. We've been talking about it for years and he's, he's never come on. We, yeah, we, we got to make that happen. Uh, you know, we, we allude to him all the time. We talk about him all the time. Uh, it's, I think it's high time that, that, uh, that he makes his uh, Rotowire CFB pod uh, debut at some point soon. It really is. He's, he's emerged as a force behind the scenes at Rotowire. Like any, any like non NFL, MLB, NBA sport, Chris Benzine has his hand in, in some sort of content for that sport. It's true. I mean, I it lean really on is. him a ton. He does a, he, he's a pillar for our college football coverage, a straight up pillar, a strong one, a, a yeah. load bearing wall. No two ways about it. Um, all right, let's end on this, John. The Ravens just continue to pull off ridiculous comeback wins week after week. Uh, both, both of our teams, uh, my Jaguars and your Ravens, uh, correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> in this. I, I feel like they're both involved in toss up games. And as I go through and, and make my pick em picks this week, uh, those are these are the two games that I have at the very bottom, a.k.a. lowest confidence level. We got Dolphins, quote-unquote, at the Jaguars in London. Uh, we got the Chargers at the Ravens on Sunday afternoon. Do, do you have a lean on either of these games? Um, I think I like the Jags. Um, is this against the spread or straight up? Straight up. Um, so I like the Jags. Um, and then I, I like the Chargers, actually. And uh, maybe there's emotional hedge uh subconscious going on here but i think the ravens coming off a win like that last time we saw them come off a, a big emotional win against the chiefs uh they really let down against the lions and really they only escaped there because it was the lions and like they could just kind of have the cosmic forces working against them at all times correct i don't know if the chargers necessarily have that same sort of bad juju about them especially with no philip rivers anymore so I think the Chargers go into Baltimore and, and get the win actually on Sunday. But I, I think you're okay. right in putting it low in your confidence. I think that that one is close to a toss up. Uh, that one and, and like the Cardinals Browns are like the two games I'm very most excited for NFL wise. Yeah, same here. I, I feel like all the teams that I want to pick are all on the road. So it, it makes it like a, you know, like I, it, on a neutral site, I think right now I would take Chargers over Ravens. But because the game is in Baltimore, all of a sudden that knocks it back to a 50 50. Um, and the Chargers run defense is so bad, right? Like if, if maybe it's almost like, is it like too obvious of a mismatch? Like, Oh, what, what's the one team that can gash the Chargers more than anybody? It should be Baltimore, but it, it's like such an obvious advantage that I feel like it's not going to be as lopsided as people think. I think it, you hurt, you need like the, the Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt or some sort of, you know, a, a poor man's version of that. I don't think the Ravens even have that. I mean, they, they just got the hundred yard streak snapped I don't think the combination of Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman really is going to be the, the one that, that makes the Chargers pay for their sins as far as their, their run defense goes. Okay, fair enough. That's a good way to put it. And you, and you like the Jags in London? I do. I do. I think that we're going to see Herb get his first win. I'm very excited for it. <laughs> Happy for our guy, Herb. <laughs> we, can't, we can't even make it through that without laughing. That's That's the state <laughs> of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, it, it does sound like we're going to see Tua, and that makes me feel a lot better. Uh, which which tells you a lot about the state of the Dolphins, where they're you're like young up and coming starting quarterback is coming back from injury, and the opponent is like, thank God we don't have to face Jacoby Brissett. That that is amazing, I, man. I thought that, the, and then you know the Justin Herbert, they could have taken him instead, and it'd yep. be a totally different conversations that we were just having about about both of these games. But now now the Dolphins go from tanking for Tua to having an existential crisis about him, not even two years into his career. Not seeing enough to uh, Marvin Bagley comparisons around there. I, I think those are going to start cropping up. 
Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.